me, and hello. Welcome oh. to the Heavy Hole. My name's Tom. Oh, uh, pardon me. It's Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck. I'm out of the way. I'm just trying to stay out of the way. <laughs> You're back in the way. You're back on the show, man. We oh. missed you. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Uh, my name's <laughs> Justin. How's it going, guys? That's right. We brought Justin back. Special guest Justin this week. We want to know, are your dogs from particularly musical families? Yeah, one of them just won't shut up. Whoa! Just yelling at everything. Howling, ah. screaming? Yeah, just mostly the woofing. Um, yeah, big woofs uh, on that. Subwoofer. Yeah, but, uh, you know, listen, what are you supposed to do? Like, you don't have thumbs, you're yelling about it. You don't have thumbs, you play video games with your pointer fingers, keep it moving, right? <laughs> you just lick the TV. It's hard to do. Tom, have you licked any TVs this weekend? Uh, yeah, you see how I have to think about that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you had to reflect. Where Saturday might have got a little window TV licky. I don't know. Oh, oh yeah. You know what? I I uh, did stare into a particularly fun TV, <laughs> oh, boy. and it was a karaoke machine, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> Drop down, dude. Uh, yeah, dude. man. What what song? What are you what, singing uh, Tom Petty? Don't leave what are you us singing Bell no, Joel. I, I do uh, the Ace of Spades like a genius. Uh, okay, traditional metal. I like it. I yeah, like but it. I could really do it. Okay, I gotta scare people off All the stage because right. th- is that Lemmy? It doesn't look like Lemmy. Lemmy's dead. <laughs> my my go to move is usually like Ace of Bass or something like a little the <laughs> different Ace. You know, That's I got a different good. Ace up my sleeve. I'm a big Paradise by the Dashboard Light uh, kind of guy. There you go. I See, like, well, I, I, I like that because people would think it would be me because Meatloaf. But no, we, we go the unexpected yeah, route. We right. go I the lean, unexpected route. Lean into the Meatloaf. Don't lean into the trends. I like I mean? to lean into this kind of voice the entire time. Yeah, there real, it goes. Real gross sounding. Yeah, Tom's Tom's trying to choke down an olive right now. He's, yeah. You shouldn't have eaten that antipasta So salad. I got to order a martini and then head over to the... Let me please sing the Ace of Spades at you. Oh, I don't no. need the TV. I know the words. Was this an in-home <laughs> personal karaoke machine, or were you at a place of business? I was at a place of business. Oh, I was boy. actually at one of the finest establishments. You were in public. Yes. Oh, you were. You, it was packed. This no, place was packed. You were at the Valencia Tavern. No, even better. <laughs> JT Carrington's. He said the finest business establishment. Well, JT Carrington's was with. I, oh. I see. I. Oh, I see, yeah, um, yeah, you were, yeah, okay. Yeah, Valencia is like a node to town. I'm talking <laughs> about the, in, within town. JT yeah, Valencia is a little bit more of an exclusive establishment. Right, yeah, exactly. it's the country club. You, oh, you only yeah, take it's, uh, it's limos country. and buses. <laughs> they listen to country in there. I, 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 I fucking love that place, man. I, I'll go there anytime. Yeah, they, actually, I think there are knives hidden in the couch. Uh, they're probably still there from when I was a little kid, and my parents used to hide me while they drank there. Oh, boy. Here we go. Listen. I'm going to actually, I would start that uh, sitting in your mom's car waiting for her to leave the bar uh, metal band. That'd be a fun. That's that's that'd how be, I discovered yeah, metal. That's, that's, Without that, I don't know if I'd, I'd be a metalhead. That's why I like John Mellencamp so much. It was yeah. just on. It was just on. Yeah, oh, man. Fun. Oh, my ain't, God. Ain't that America? It is. I, mean, you know, I was You America. and me right now. Look at this. Justin, how was your weekend? That was all right. You know. Were you sitting in the car waiting for your mom to leave the car? <laughs> I, I put my dog in the car and yeah. told it away from me. Oh, boy. Listen to Small Town. Um, yeah, it was good. Uh, what, what did I do? A little bit of fishing, mm. you know, as, as it happens. The storm. Wow. Batting yeah. down the hatches for uh, for just nothing. For storm shower. Right. Long yeah. shower. I get really excited when there's, like, forecast of, of storms and 
mayhem and they're like 20 foot waves are going to erase Long Island. And what are you going to do, brother, when fucking the hurricane comes down <laughs> well, on yeah, you? When like, Hen- I get, Hurricane Henry comes on. I get I, really excited. Like, I, I don't, you know, I don't necessarily, I'm not one that like boards up windows because I want the glass to break. <laughs> I want the trees to fall. Yeah. I want to try and use my wench to like save somebody. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I want to have a good time. Yeah, I, I get it. You're living that tornado life, man. I, I um, <laughs> you know, the me personally, I drove out to Port Jefferson. Uh, for work on Saturday, mm. there were gas lines everywhere. Wow! It was yeah, it was a little wild on Long Island. Long Island, just cool it a little. The people are getting a little nuts out here with the pandemic. I think everyone's lost their mind. There was gas lines from here to Port Jefferson. Yeah. Uh, my uh, my usual Speedway um, gas station there in Kings Park, adjacent to the Santa Coast and Sunken Meadow Parkway. They had sign, paper signs, no gas by the time I reached no them. No gas. Yeah, yeah. Big shout to my homie in there. Always hold me down with the beef jerky. But listen, um, <laughs> that, yeah, that was a little weird, man. And then lo and behold, you know, I we I got my generator. I got a little stash. I got yeah. my, I got a bottle of Jack Daniels and, a, and some batteries for the cassette player. I'm hurricane prepared. Good. Okay. But um, we, yeah, we, all we got was just like a long, humid shower. It was like, it was kind of like when I get rejected by women. It was just like I went home and took a long shower. That was the that was what Hurricane Henry did to Long Island. The old tropical letdown. Yeah. 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 Tropical rejection. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. But listen, uh, tonight, a guy who knows a little bit about life in a small town. Go on. A guy who knows a little bit about not following the trends, about bucking the trends, not knowing what's going on in the mainstream. Get out of here, trends. Uh, a guy out. who is not tropical in nature, so therefore is not going to let us down like Hurricane Henry did. Listen, okay. put your jacket on. Can we talk to Dara O'Leary, owner of Invictus Productions, singer of Virkolak of Ireland, and can we give me credit for pronouncing all that correctly, sir? Amazing. Sure. Thank you. Okay. I mean, Ireland's technically part of the tropical stream, yeah. so they have palm trees there. Uh, listen. Oh. Is that true? Yes. Call up the pub down the street from Invictus <laughs> Productions Warehouse. Tell the old man who answers the phone to get Dara on the line. Big Will from Heavy Hole Podcast, joined by my co-hosts Tom and Justin. And today, wait a minute, Dara, I got to ask you an upfront question that I ask a lot of. You got to um, tell me the correct pronunciation of your name, please, respectfully, so I can get it right. You just hit it. Uh, mo- uh, most Americans, I have yet to meet an American who doesn't uh, uh, pronounce it Dara, um, because the way you pronounce your A-R's in the States is different to how we do it. Anyway, it's pronounced Dara. Dara and your last name, O'Leary. Dara O'Leary. Okay, uh, and we thank yeah, you. The, 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 the name, the surname that I usually go by is the Gaelic version of my name, so it's it's uh, it's spelled differently 
um, to the one that you would see in most places. Uh, I think it's the one, the one you emailed me is Olera, which is the Gaelic version of O'Leary. Okay, that that's interesting. I'm getting a, um, a lesson right now uh, in Gaelic, but um, well, let's let's keep rolling off of this because I tried to do the Hollywood intro, uh, but it's more it's more important to get these pronunciations right. We deal with people all over the world. We deal with all different types of bands, uh, and let's be respectful of one another's culture. So, welcome to the program. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much. Yeah, and. Um, Da- uh, Dara, you're you're uh, not only the vocalist of. Uh, here's another pronunciation. Is it Virolac? Virkalak. Virkalak. It's it's actually yeah Virkalak. It's actually a Romanian word. So I believe we aren't even pronouncing it 100 percent correctly. <laughs> so we're just we say it phonetically Virkalak. Okay, and and you got to remember we're based out of Long Island, New York. So we have we're we're at a disadvantage with pronouncing anything in any language. Um, right off the top with our accent here. The but, most uh, stunted enunciations <laughs> yeah. on the planet right here. But <laughs> but but prior to being the vocalist of that band, you also um, are perhaps uh, wider and, and better known in some circles as the, uh, I guess we'll say, owner of Invictus Productions. Yeah, guilty. <laughs> guilty as charged. So we want to talk about all of that. Talk about um, your band's most recent release, uh, Mask. Uh, if I got it right on Dark Descent mm-hmm. Records, and um, yep. uh, uh, not only that, but the label and what you've been through. But before that, we always go to the very beginning uh, and try to get a little bit of your experience getting into heavy metal and that sort of thing. And I got a credit right at the top. I always credit for uh, the uh, the research I do. Bardo Methodology uh, and yep. I'm Hotep Zine YouTube channel have both done interviews with you in the past that were very insightful. Okay, very good. Yeah, so I don't want to, and I, I also, you know, we don't like to uh, drone on and make guests repeat things they've already talked about. So we'll, 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 well as a jumping off point, I know already um, from that Bardo Methodology interview, it says that at around 15 years old, through Thrash and Burn magazine, you began tape trading with people through, I guess, some sort of a pen pals uh, connection page or something to, of that nature, right? Yeah, yeah, that was it, um... I got into the heavier side of things in in around 1990, and uh, you know I grew up in a small country town, so um, access to underground stuff was really limited. Um, but Metal Hammer used to do these periodicals. I think it was maybe twice a year that they did this Metal Hammer Thrash Extra, and I think it was maybe April or May 1990. They had one with Tom Araya on the cover, and it had. Um, a Florida scene special and a load of other stuff and pictures of Morbid Angel and ASI obituary and all this. So I, as soon as I saw that, my mind was blown. And um, there was an older guy in the town who had all those albums who taped them for me. For me. He also taped me stuff like Show No Mercy, Venom, Black Metal, um, those kinds of things. But um, so, yeah, when I got to 15, I was actually spending some time uh, with my grandparents um, over the summer. There was a lot of kids. Metal was huge in Ireland at this point in time. I mean, like everybody was in, was into it, or so it seemed anyway. But um, some of the older kids in and around where I was staying, my grandparents were like, do you know this band? No. Okay, well, I'm not going to play this band. You know, you have to find it out for yourself. So I was like, well, <laughs> fuck you. So I put my ad in the, uh, the magazine and um, yeah, started tape trading with people. And that really was the kind of the floodgates opening wide <laughs> for everything that's kind of come since then. 
Okay, and you mentioned that there was somebody else in your town. Let's go back, for, you know, further before that. Um, as I often say on the podcast, I'm not the most uh, well-educated person. I'm trying to learn a little bit here along the way myself. You say that you're from a more rural area of Ireland. Could you just give us a little insight into yeah. what it was like growing up, where you grew up as a young man in, uh, I guess it would be the 80s going into the 90s, and were there any members of your family that were musicians or um, had an ear for music to begin with? Well, music was always a, a big thing um, in uh, in our house. Like the like the radio was was always on, and um, my uncle is a traditional musician, um, so that kind of seeped into a bit of everyday life. Uh, you know, it's hard to kind of describe what Ireland was like back in the in the eighties. I mean, look, I was a child anyway, so I have kind of, I suppose very narrow uh, memories of what it was like being a kid in the 80s but I, look I had a great time growing up as a kid but um, like music was was all around us but uh, like in I think it was the mid 80s we had this kind of offshoot of MTV called, uh, which was an, uh, a specifically Irish program called MTUSA and it aired every Sunday for uh, maybe an hour and um, I remember like in I guess it would have been 85 they had the fill in as Gary Moore the out in the field song that's always stuck in my head. And then a couple of years later, I remember seeing the video to Girls, 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 huh. which for an 11 year old boy was very fucking exciting. Um, and then, like, you know, Gary Moore over the hills. Like, and ZZ Top was another big one. And of course, Van Halen uh, Jump, when that came out um, in 84. That was that was like all over the place. So we were exposed to tons of music, but that, obviously pop music as well. I mean, when I was a kid, I was into Duran Duran, Aha, and all that that sort of stuff. So I didn't really get into like hard rock until the late '80s, when um, I was in what we call secondary school. It's high school uh, in in the states. So yeah, it was older kids into um, Iron Maiden, Guns N' Roses, Wasp, Cinderella all that kind of stuff. And um, that's really when it, it started. But um, like everything was either like radio um, or we had these compilation tapes. Um, that were, it was called Now Music and like Whitesnake and ACDC were on them. So you'd only have songs. I'd, like the first actual album I ever owned was uh, Def Leppard Hysteria when that came out. And the second album I ever owned was Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses. Those two were major catalysts for me getting into this whole thing and uh, having a hideous mullet. <laughs> so, all right. So something I've heard you talk about um, in, in the other interviews I, I read was that the, just the concept of Ireland being an island uh, and growing up and getting into heavy metal in the pre-internet age uh, it it kind of it made things a little bit more rare and difficult to acquire in terms of like record stores and I would imagine maybe even touring bands coming through the area was was that even more difficult because you were in more of a rural setting and not in a city. Well, yeah, I'll tell you, the nearest city, for, like I mean, in like American geographical terms, it was very close. It, it was like an hour's drive, excuse me, from where I grew up. But uh, in like local terms. It, an hour's drive meant it was like f far away. But even so, um, when I was it, when I was 15, spending time with my grandparents, I found out about a month later that Obituary had played in, in the city. They were on the Cause of Death tour. 
Um, so I was pretty bummed out that I, I had missed that, and I just I was unaware. I had nobody to tell me. Um, I didn't really I didn't know of any of the record shops in the city at that point in time. But that all changed very very rapidly after that. And I I saw Paradise Lost uh, on the Gothic tour in late 1991, and that was my first ever international um, touring band concert. And it was a matinee show as well, which was bizarre. But um, uh, yeah, like, like look, back then, everybody was into Iron Maiden, Metallica, Megadeth, Anthrax, um, Slayer, um, those types of bands. Then, you know, or the English band Sabbat were really popular in Ireland because they played here a couple of times. And then another English uh, thrash band called Zentrix were really popular here. And Acid Rain as well, um, because they, they came over here and played. But in the late 80s, you had... Uh, was it uh, Bull Thrower and Carcass did some shows at some punk gigs here I think um, 1990 Creator and Death well Death without Chuck Schuldiner played Deicide played actually yeah, Deicide played here in December 1990 which uh, is mm. an odd one um, like there were bands coming over in, in the early 90s but I mean I was living what I don't know about 150 or 200, I can't, don't know how many miles it is from, from Dublin at the time. So I wasn't able to get to see those bands. I was too young anyway. There's no fucking way my parents were letting me go all the way to Dublin uh, to see death metal bands. But um, <laughs> I, I actually, I, in, when I was 17, when I was in my final year in school, I would um, <laughs> end up rushing home after school to drop my school gear, change out of my school uniform, put on my... Uh, heavy metal clothes and head out on the road and hitch to Dublin to see uh, gigs and I saw Anathema on the Serenades tour and My Dying Bride on the Turn Loose to Swans tour both hitching after school to Dublin which at, at that time you were lucky and you got a lift directly into the city from where where I was which took I, I think about two and a half hours no would have been about three odd hours at the time because there was no motorway believe it or not between Cork and Dublin um, but sometimes when you hitch the lift, um, you would be brought so far, so you'd be standing on the side of the road waiting huh. <laughs> for another lift for a bit. But luckily enough, I got got to the gigs in time, um, which was a whole whole other adventure. But yeah, it was a lot of fun uh, thinking back. Very different, I think, to a lot of other people's experiences of getting to see gigs for the first time. Yeah, I mean that's a bit of an adventure. Uh, you live to tell the tale, at least. You know, that's that's something else. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, and then, I, you know, I know, um, you, you were relatively young when you did end up moving to Dublin, right? Yeah. Yeah. I moved up when I was 20. Um, I got my own place when I was 21. Um, because look again, Ireland's a, an odd place, but by that stage, like in the mid nineties, say around 94, um, metal was you know, kind of done for because we had the huge ecstasy wave mm. come in in the early 90s and literally overnight metalheads were cutting their hair and wearing tracksuits going to rave discos or rave clubs or whatever they call them. So the whole thing had changed. So um, I was what? I was 18 in 1994 um, and I, yeah, I was in Dublin when I was 20 then. So it, like a lot of the older people, I guess, just had moved on and, you know, I'd grown out of it or whatever else so there was just kind of a cluster of us I don't actually don't the reason why I moved to Dublin is because there was things happening here like you had Primordial um, I've been friends with those guys 
uh, from geez, nearly 30 years now, but um, they were going and there was other bands like Morphosis, Fifth Dominion and a bunch of other bands who were still active and playing gigs or whatever. So there was a nucleus happening in Dublin and it was a good social scene as well. There was nothing happening in Cork, which was the nearest city to where I grew up. So I was like, fuck this, I'm going to Dublin and settled here and been where I've been. I've been here ever since, I should say. Okay, that's interesting. You mentioned um, uh, uh, right off the bat. Um, I'm sorry. What was the band you mentioned? Primordial. Uh, Primordial. Yeah, I'm sorry, man. I had a, Primordial. Yeah, yeah. I had a little, little bit of a brain fart there. All right, you mentioned Primordial. <laughs> um, uh, that that's a band that obviously a lot of our listeners from maybe here in the states and around the world might be more familiar with than your average Irish metal band. Um, would would you say as like an insider of the Irish scene and someone who's who knows those guys for a long time, does that band is that a band that like really embodies the Irish character in in metal in some way? Yeah, I mean, look, I suppose in in some one sense they do because they have used kind of Irish themes for want of a better way of putting it since yeah, pretty much since their first album, mm-hmm. less so on their demo. Um, I mean, I know that Kieran, the guitar player, would be a, a big Thin Lizzy fan, um, for example. Actually, Simon, the drummer, um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, um, somebody can correct me on this if I am, but I have a memory of him actually getting drum lessons from Brian Downey, but that could be completely, completely <laughs> wrong. Or he had, had a snare drum from Brian Downey from Thin Lizzy or something like that. I'm not 100% sure, so anybody who actually knows is free to correct me on that. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, Primordial, I suppose, is the most successful Irish metal band that we've had in a, in a kind of mainstream with a small M sense. You know, they've toured America, they've been all over the world. But there's other bands here as well, like Crocon. They've, they've toured in some fucking oddball places they've toured in eastern europe a lot they're quite popular in russia they've to- actually the drummer from birkelak uh, played drums in crocon and he played in argentina chile brazil um i think it was oh, uh, in four days <laughs> so uh, years ago with crocon they did four days in in, in those three different countries so uh, the irish metal scene is quite disparate there's a lot of different sort of music um like more mainstream type metal stuff and then you've like oh, so many different offshoots there's no kind of singularity or you know like you, you when you when you say death metal and you, t- and you point to florida you have a specific mm. type of scene we don't have anything yes. like like that here at, at all it's very um like i said disparate it's not really jo- joined up or whatever else you know you have different pockets of people doing different things completely separate to each other and they don't connect or whatever else which is which is fine uh, yeah and i you know i guess what i'm getting at is without trying to um uh, you know I'm not, I'm not trying to say anything disrespectful about primordial obviously but when i say you know do they embody the, the irish character i guess the thing is that because they've um reaching such a level reached such a level of prominence a lot of people see them from outside of ireland as, as like the typical irish band when in reality there's a lot of, of different and more dynamic sounds coming out of ireland that people might not be as familiar with right 
Yeah, but I mean, look, you have to be realistic. Primordial are signed to Metal Blade Records, which is probably the biggest independent metal label, uh, you know, that there still is. They, they're not, to the best of my knowledge, they're still not owned by uh, cor- uh, corporate mm-hmm. uh, labels. Like even Cent- like Century Media was bought out, and I believe that one of the corporates, I don't know if it's Sony or whatever, has a, a majority share in Nuclear Blast. So Metal Blade is still independent, but they're, they're still a huge, a pretty big label, you know. So look, they, of course, you know, p- people will be exposed to a band like that because Metal Blade has so much more reach, you know. And look, the other thing is as well, Ireland, in terms of metal or whatever like that, we're just not that fucking sexy, you know. We don't have, <laughs> uh, we're not skinny Swedes, we're not church burning Norwegians, you know. We, you know, we're not, we're just... We don't have what is, I suppose, sex appeal that other countries might have. But that's not to say that there's not an interest in the Irish bands, because there is. There is quite a a large interest in, um, especially the Irish bands that I I deal with. Um, You know, there's definitely an interest in them. So look, just, you know, it's got to do with exposure, but it's also got to do with what people feel is interesting and attractive. And like I said, I just don't think Ireland nor Irish bands in a broader sense have the, huh. the sex appeal that's successfully marketed from other countries. You well, know? And I'm using the term sex appeal in a kind of a, a generic sense rather than a specific sense. It's it's a euphemism. It's not uh, like, you know, okay, we all do have fucking potato heads, but still. Uh, and I, 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 think, <laughs> I think I know what you're getting at. I think we're talking about marketing. And, I, you know, I don't know if I, if I stated what I was getting at correctly either. What all I'm really getting at, and I think it comes down to marketing. You mentioned how, you know, the church burning Norwegians in the 90s. And I think maybe a lot of record labels were trying to look for the, the Irish version of that or something along those lines. But regardless... Um, I want to push past that and get into a little bit to try to understand your your journey a little bit. And something you talked about, um, not only did you mention it before, but you mentioned it in other interviews, was how, I guess, adjacent to the time that you had moved to Dublin, there was a big pill culture and a big drug culture that shifted the nightlife and, I guess, the the type of attention towards heavy metal. I also heard you talk about how back in the late 90s and early 2000s, there was a big... Um, resurgence of this kind of necro cult thrash influenced death and black metal that was very old school and uh reissuing some of that older material that was hard to find in those pre-internet days was part of the uh the the beginning of the label do you see any connection between that maybe with 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 the metal scene dying down from the 90s correlating with the drugs and the reflux of a very raw old school style of metal um, I not really. I just think that, like, my personal tastes, like, since I got into the tape trading things, I was just into, you know, kind of the rough and ready kind of stuff, whether it was Bathory, Sodom, or early destruction. And, you know, of course, you know, you have, you know, Metallica and Slayer and Venom and all those kinds of bands. And just that kind of rough, um, primitive, uh, really expressive form of metal that was completely untainted uh, at the time by commercial interests. Like, I mean, you know, Kill 'Em All was, you know, a pretty rough and ready record, so was Show No Mercy. 
uh, you know, all the Celtic, early Celtic Frost stuff, Bathory, all that sort of stuff. It existed in the time and place. So anyway, that, that, that sort of thing was really interesting and exciting. So, you know, you move into the, the late 80s death metal scene, and you've like just millions of demos and like you've bands bursting with energy. So like the, the, all those things, like when, you know, when I was tape trading, I was getting the Morbid Angel demos, Incubus demos, Massacre demos, you know, Nihilists, Dismember, all that sort of stuff. So I, to me, all that stuff was really exciting. I had the albums, but the demo stuff had a different charm to it. So I always liked that element of things when, when bands were, for want of a better uh, word, very pure of spirit in, in terms of what they were trying to do. You know, they, they were excited that somebody in England wanted to order their demo or somebody in France or somebody in Chile or Japan or whatever else. And that was the kind of the the nexus of, of it all. Of course, you know, you know, you had Eric Records and you know, Piece of Records as well in the background. And in the US, I guess you had New, New Renaissance Records uh, releasing stuff, and of course, Combat. Um, yeah. But um, you know, for in an Irish sense, that, like I was just into that underground, the underground stuff. And a lot of my friends at the time were into like fucking grind. Like the group that I hung out with in the late nineties, for example. Everybody was into different stuff. No, like there was a few bands that everybody agreed on, we'll say. Um, but, you know, some people were listening to tons of heavy metal and power metal. And I fucking hated power metal. Uh, somebody was listening to loads of grind and all that fucking porno grind stuff. Huh. I hated that. <laughs> I was listening to, you know, fucking uh, demos. And like I was writing to different people. Still, I uh, still in the late 90s writing to people, pick, trying to, you know, get demos that I... Uh, I couldn't have gotten when I was tape trading uh, years before. So look, it was just my interest. Everybody had their own interests. Um, and that was kind of my thing, I suppose. Um, and I just I just liked the whole, um, you know, the studs and leather and denim and bullet belts <laughs> approach. <laughs> it's the easiest way to put it, I guess. Well, when you talk about the, the Incubus demos, um, shout shout uh, former guest of the show Francis Howard. Uh, shout to him of Incubus and Opprobrium, uh, Massacre, and and those type of really early uh, death from from before there was such a hard line between thrash and death and black metal, and it was more just about being um, sick and upfront with it, like you say, ready to go. And um, that that to me makes a lot of sense when you take in now the context of the music that you've put out over the last 20 years and continue to put out. It all seems to, to stem from that old school tradition of, like I say, before there was as much commercialization and as much of a hard line between the, the extreme genres, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's just the, the, the spirit of those things is what, I, what really, really appeals to me. Mm -hmm. Like... Uh, it's just somebody who has a vision of what they want to do and there's no like commercial intent and I'm not fucking bagging out somebody who wants to be who wants to play arena or whatever play big shows or big clubs I th like that's not what I'm saying it doesn't have to be one way or, or, or the other uh, in my view you know I just I like things that are what I consider pure of spirit um, and the energy like if you look at if you look at the kind of break point for thrash which was 86 when you had the you know your rain and blood master puppets um and p cells and you you go you know from you go back a year before to 85 and say back to 83 then like all those bands were you know before that break point in 86 
were really playing their hearts out because it was what they were obsessed with and, and they believed in. And you can tell that in the music. You know, things changed after 86, and I'm not saying things got worse or anything like that. I'm not one of these people who looks at... Uh, <laughs> you can if you want. ...sent to <laughs> the bigger, bigger levels and thinking, oh, my God, that's the... You know, it's all fucking ruined. I don't think like that. But what I'm saying is, you know, retrospectively, you can see changing points, you know? And, yeah. Um, you know, once Metallica did the uh, what, 598 EP... And then, you know, into Injustice for All, all the thrash bands that are trying to sound like that, like that, you know, clean and, you know, more commercial sounding or whatever else. And it, because there was tons of record labels looking looking for bands that they could exploit and, and market and sell or whatever else. But going back into the early 80s, that just didn't exist. It, it was a completely different mindset creatively. And I that, that mindset then filtered into the demo tape trading and underground scene because bands were like, yeah. I mean, I remember reading a thing that Nick A. Anderson uh, from Entomb taught Merciless were posers because <laughs> they uh, they were more thrash inclined than they, than proper death metal. You know, like yeah, Merciless yeah. were signed to Euronymous's label. They put, you know, it's it, it but those li- those little things that push things, you know, that purity of spirit, that aggression, mm-hmm. um, that excitement. That's that's the thing that for me made all all those things uh, really interesting. Um, yeah, I, I I can understand, and you know we're talking about when you when you start the early years of Invictus Productions. I don't know what the musical climate was like in Ireland, but I know where I'm from over here. Uh, to be someone into underground metal was very frustrating in the early 2000s because of the prominence of extremely commercialized melodramatic metalcore. Um, did 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 that? Did that drive you on in a sense? You know what I mean? Did that add fuel to the fire for you? Because you, you had this this love for this more true style, so to speak. No, to be honest, back, like, back in the late 90s over here, um, friends of mine uh, were, were trying to bring over international touring acts. You know, they started uh, a promo company to bring over bands. And like it was around, say, it was the late 90s where a bunch of us kind of all started moving into different things. Um, and I, I like, literally, I had a brain fart uh, one day in the pub. I said, oh, I'm going to start a label. I had no fucking clue what I was thinking about or doing or anything like that. I, I, literally just an idea. So anything kind of in a mainstream sense really had no effect on me because everything I was obsessed with and interested in was was purely underground. Demos and still write, writing to bands. Um, I hadn't set up an email account yet so literally I was sending letters to bands still in 99 and even 2000 um, ordering demos or whatever else so it was just my I guess obsession with uh, that kind of thing that drove me on but I I know you mean in in a mainstream sense yeah look over here um, metal has since the the, I guess the early 90s metal has never um, gotten to a stage where it's popular again in a broad sense. Now, of course, Iron Maiden will come here and it will sell out a, a, a big venue. But when they played here in 95, I think it was, with Blaze Bailey singing, they couldn't even sell out a venue that held, um, I think it was a thousand people or something like that. So, you know, look, you know, commercial metal or, you know, the older bands, they've successfully reinvented themselves. So they, they will get big crowds, of course. But underground metal is still, a, it's a, it was always a very, very niche thing. 
it still is a very very niche thing um it would be most popular i guess in dublin as a city uh but like i remember like when i brought say gospel of the horns here for the first time in 2000 um most of the people actually going to that gig would have been going to the gig because it was a gig to go to they wouldn't have known the band because i mean they gospel had literally only just put out a mini lp on a small dutch label which i was selling but it was just oh fuck, here's a band that's all the way from australia let's go and see it and i mean they got a good reaction and whatever else but because people didn't have anything to go to it was like oh fuck, let's go along let's go along to this so it was cool in, in that sense um, but I, yeah, everything I've done has existed completely outside of um, any, I suppose, mainstream kind of uh, influence um, culturally here. Because look, metal just isn't a thing in Ireland. It's just not something people are into. Um, you know, even to this day, I get mistaken for being a biker because I have long hair <laughs> and I wear a leather jacket and black jeans. <laughs> not, you know, people don't think, you know, it's metal, it's motorbikes. Yeah, which is metal, I suppose, in one sense. But there's, there's a Venn diagram; they intersect, uh, you know, in a lot of ways. But um, yeah, well, all right, that, that's that's something that before we get too far ahead, the, like the last real, like like real old school question, because I do want to get into some of your releases and, of course, talk about your band. Sure. But one old school um, Irish thing in particular, I wanted to talk about that you, I, again, I got from those other interviews you've done in the past was if I pronounce it right. Uh, Ryan Air, the low-cost airline. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Could yeah, you yeah. could you explain just for our listeners and for us how that affected a young metalhead in Ireland uh, at the time? Okay, well, right. The first ever. Um, uh, okay, we used to do what was called the the sail and rail, which meant we would get the ferry from Dublin to Wales and get the train from Wales to London to see a band. So. That was eight hours traveling and uh, it was done overnight. So you get the ferry at 11 o'clock or 10 o'clock at night or something like that. And you get into London at 8 a.m. So the first time I did that was in December 94. Um, a gang of us went over to see actually Cradle of Fills were doing a show. Uh, I'm not sure if it was, if it was uh, the release show for the Principle of Evil Made Flesh or if it was just a show that they were doing at that time. But anyway, we went to see it in a small venue in Camden, in London. Um, so it was, if my memory is correct, it was 55 pounds at the time to do that. So I think 55 pounds in, in dollars, I guess in back then it would have been maybe 120 or something dollars to get this, the, the uh, boat and ferry. Wow. So right. that's how we used to go to see bands in the UK. We get, we, we get the boat and train over. So look, the first time I flew to a gig in the UK um, was in February 96. I went to see At The Gates and Dissection in London with a friend of mine. And we paid 120 Irish pounds to fly. Uh, I, don't even, I think it was the national airline, which is called Aer Lingus. So it was a lot more expensive. So then fast forward a year into 97, Ryanair had really kicked in. Myself and Alan from Primordial, we flew to uh, Dynamo Festival in Eindhoven in Holland uh, with, with Ryanair. And the flight, the return flight for uh, each of us was £17.50 each. So <laughs> you can see the, the difference yeah. uh, in, in terms of, of pricing. I don't know how I remember all this shit, but anyway. Um, so yeah, we flew to Belgium. We had to get the train around to Eindhoven. Now bear in mind that at that time, uh, both Alan and I were on, um, 
what's called the dole. It's like social welfare. If you don't work, you're entitled to social welfare, which at that time, like, can't even, it was very little. I think it was something in the region of like 70 pounds a week or something like that. Um, it wasn't a huge amount of money. So like we were literally over there with, with fucking our hands in our pockets and a, a little bit of money to buy some beer tokens and buy some uh, f- some food every now and again. But we got to see, uh, like Dynamo 97 was amazing. Like so many different fucking bands. I got to see Exodus doing um, Bonded by Blood with the original lineup, including Paul Baloff. Mm. Um, Satyricon played. Uh-huh. Uh, Jesus, I'm trying to think. Loads. Of, anyway, it was an amazing experience. Um, for a 21 year old, you know, so yeah, like Ryanair changed the game. It made Europe accessible for us, whereas previously it just it just wasn't. Um, yeah. Getting to the continent was very very expensive. Um, I remember a situation in '96. Uh, I think Primordial were supposed to play. Maybe it was an early uh, um, one of the parties and festivals in Germany. And I remember sitting in the room and I, like the guy had actually sent money in an envelope for Primordial towards their flights or whatever else. They had to contribute the rest, but they didn't like that, you know, between being on the dole or being in college or working shitty jobs, nobody had the extra money to pay for the, for the, uh, for the remainder of the flight. So yeah, look, Ryanair changed the game completely. And, you know, that's, you know, in 2000, I was able to get Gospel of the Horns over here from, um, I think they flew over from Belgium or something like that. Um, and it was really cheap. And at that time, Ryanair as well, because it was all brand new, like you could bring bags and guitars on the plane and there was no extra charge for it. Years afterwards, they decided to charge you for for everything um, getting on the plane. Mm. Um, but still, look, even like to this day, you know, the, the they still have, they're pretty good value. If you're traveling light and you want to go somewhere, like you can get flights for like mega cheap for, you know, I was in Italy a few months ago, and I think I paid something like 30 euro for a round trip flight. Look, that's kind of specific to the the whole lockdown shit we're in as well, because mm-hmm. there's not that many people flying. Normally, flights to Italy would be a lot more expensive, but still, you you, you get the idea. Like they've they revolutionised uh, travel. Uh, yeah, that's that. Well, that, I thought that part was interesting. Um, you know, just with the idea of Ireland being an island and getting bands in and out of there and, and all that sort of thing. And, you know, you did talk about bringing gospel horns in and um, working with them. If I got it right there, I don't know that they're the first band, but they're amongst the first bands you released back in 1999, in 2000, when you started the label, right? Yeah, well, I released their first album in November 2002, yeah. I had them over here to play a show, and um, a couple of them... After the, 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 the show, the uh, following, they were here for a couple of days before the show. Then the the show, the next show after the one they played here was in London. So then they were going back to Belgium again. And the two of them said, look, we're going to be back in a few days. And I kind of went, yeah, right. You know, <laughs> you know, I know they had a good time here, but I, I didn't expect them to come back. But lo and behold, a few days later, there was a ring at my doorbell and two of them had returned. So they stayed here for another week. So we became fast friends. And um, things didn't work out with their previous label. So they rang me and said, hey, do you want to do do this album and I was fucking blown away. It was a huge deal for me at the time. Because I was, thing is, like I brought them over here because I was a fan, not because I was expecting to work with them or anything, anything like that. It was purely from the perspective of being a fan. Um, and uh, yeah, like we're you know we're still good friends to this day. 
And we're talking about the early days of your label. Uh, I know amongst some of the other early bands that you worked with, um, Vomitor, uh, Diocletian maybe, Soul Axis. You want to talk about just memories of working with those bands? Like That's got to be a certain era in your memory, right? Getting everything fresh and off the ground with the label? Yeah, I mean, it was was very much a small kind of bedroom DIY operation for the longest of times um, everything was r- like run out of my old uh, uh, flat in Dublin you know and you'd have a small space in the living room for everything and you know it, look it, it was like I said it was very DIY it, it was absolutely not professional in any any sense um, but it was fun you know and look, I worked part-time or sorry I worked full-time and um, as kind of time went on I started working part-time and I went went back to university um, about 12 or 13 years ago as a mature student and I was doing the label, working part-time and going to university and, it, you know, it, it, it was a huge learning experience because, again, being based in Ireland is not conducive to success with doing something like this because, like I said, the, the, the underground scene here is, is minuscule. And I remember being in Germany, for example, at um, these, what were they called, Hellbangers gigs, uh, like the, that disaster were organized. Um, they'd have a bunch of bands playing and like there'd be like a few hundred people there and it'd be like Iron Pegasus records and Merciless records with their big stalls of all their stock. And, you know, people were buying loads of stuff, you know, and I was like, Jesus Christ, nothing, nothing like this exists in, in Ireland. You know, not even for like... Not even if Slayer played, would you see a merch table at a gig or anything like that. It was just, it was night and day, a completely different thing. So, you know, kind of in the late kind of 2000s, I suppose, it's when, uh, mid to late 2000s, yeah, it's when kind of web, sh- web shops really started to become a thing. And that really kind of was the beginning or opening up of, uh, of how I was able to kind of get more out into the world, for want of a better way of putting it. But over here, we actually had, there was uh, these guys used to run a festival, um, some very small festival in a pub called Day of Darkness. And it would have a, like a ton of Irish bands and they'd try and bring over some international headliners like you know, Destruction played it, Candlemas played it, Sabbath from England played it, um, Entombed. Like there was, you know, there was quite some quite good bands um, and that would happen once a year and you'd get a couple of hundred people at it. It was like very, very small. But whatever revenue I would raise at that would kind of be what I would have then to reinvest over the, the next couple of months. Um, and the odd time somebody would call to the house and, and pick up stuff. So it was very, very, uh, it was like a micro industry, <laughs> for want of a better way of putting it. And, you know, it was cool because those bands that you mentioned, like Diocletian, whatever, I mean, they they once their first album came out in 2009 like they hit the ground running really hard um and tons of people were into them and that album actually doom cold would have been a big chain game changer for me um as well it kind of moved things up a, 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 a level or two um and opened a few few new doors uh, for the label as well and you know kind of i suppose it's part of the the journey to where i am right now Okay, and um, I mentioned there's a lot there. Uh, uh, well, something else. Here's another question. Talking about that, in the years since, have other 
um, distributors and labels such as yourself come up to actually, in, in a way, um, cooperate or compete with you? And are there more um, prevalent at shows nowadays? You know, I, you know pre-COVID, obviously. Uh, you're talking about labels in Ireland? Yeah, because you talk about how there wasn't anything in Ireland back in the day, and then you're there. Have you seen now others come up and you almost have, like, maybe competition or you at least have others that are there with you? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I should kind of go back and say my friend Brian, who helps me out from time to time as well, he runs his uh, label as well called Sentinel Records, and he actually started around the same time I did. Um, like, we had completely different perspectives on what we wanted to do and where we wanted to go. So, like, Brian does... A lot of um, he does like stalls at record fairs and and stuff like that lately, and he 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 gets in a lot more kind of commercial and mainstream stuff as well. He has a completely different perspective on what I do. And another friend of mine, uh, Martin, whose nickname is is Fart. <laughs> um, I think some people in the states listening to this will probably know him because he's quite the character. He actually has a label as well called Sarlacc. And actually, if we go back exactly ten years ago. Three of us, a couple of other friends, including Rob from Vomitor, uh, we started a record shop and a tattoo shop in Dublin. Um, we all kind of pulled together and rented out a, a space where we had a tattoo shop. Uh, we had a record shop at the front and at the back. Then we had um, a, a tattoo shop. And in the basement, we had enough space where we were able to have some very, very small uh, shows. Like, you know, you, I think the most we got in there one night was maybe 60 people or something like that. Mm. Um, it was like acoustic shows and, and stuff like that. It wasn't like really amped up or mic'd up shows as such. But um, that was a cool little little venture we had. And like I said, Brian helps me out uh, to this day. And there's, there are other people doing things for sure. Um, but like you know, you still you're not going to go to see um, a band here, generally speaking, and have us doing merch tables at it. It's just not something. It's not a common. It's never been a common thing in Ireland it's just uh, it never kind of I suppose took off compared to the way it did in Europe it just it seemed to be a regular thing uh, for, for uh, distros whatever to show at events and just have their merch tables there um, and well something talking about the, the Irish scene in particular too here's a question that, that just kind of popped into my head I'm um uh, right now, I'm reading the, bo- the the book, The Devil's Cradle, which explores the origins of Finnish black metal. Right, and they they talk, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They they talk in the '90s in one particular region about how there was, um, uh, I guess more like athletic uh, jock types that would uh, uh, um, go and try to beat up and, and rally around the metalheads and, like, the Satanists and that sort of thing. Was there ever anything like that? Because you talked about the pillhead culture. I think maybe people outside of Ireland and outside of Europe have a stereotype about, um, quote-unquote, football hooligan culture and that sort of thing. Was there ever an intersection of that with heavy metal in any sort of way? Not that I experienced directly, but... In the early 90s in Dublin, it was pretty rough and tumble, all right. You had a lot of a lot of punks who were dickheads um, who would just beat, beat people up for sheer entertainment. And then on top of that, you had these ticket basher guys um, who would hang around on the street when there was a gig on. Um, let's just say, like when Morbid Angel played in Dublin in December 91. So they played in the city centre in this venue that's now long, long gone. But um, you would have these guys uh, standing on the main street, uh, which would lead up to the venue. 
and any kids that would come up from the country to attend the gig would be, you know, subject to physical abuse, <laughs> having their shoes, their like runners and jackets, and even their t-shirts robbed at, ni- at knife point. So it was pretty. Like I said, I never experienced this. I and I've, um, I know people who witnessed it. I know people. Actually, I knew a guy who was involved in the ticket bashing at one point um so it was a cultural phenomenon that seemed to be isolated to dublin because when i was a kid in cork uh that never never ever happened so that was that's the only thing that um i can think of uh that kind of refers back to your point but like i said it i never ever experienced it Okay. Um, yeah, just just something uh, that popped into my head, and and you know, like we like we say sometimes, that's maybe be more of a, a generalization or a stereotype people have uh, than than a reality. Now that, but that right there too, you talk about how that was something in Dublin. Um, maybe not not even in terms of of a. Uh, 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 you know, like crime or, or anything of that way, but just like the, the music culture itself, the types of metal, you yourself, you're very into the old school, um, like kind of demo type of metal. In other areas of Ireland, other than Dublin, are there any regions that you would say are associated um, with specific types of metal? Like here in New York, people associate New York with suffocation and internal bleeding and Florida with morbid angel and, you know, that, that sort of thing. Are there, are there region-specific sounds of any kind in Ireland? No, I wouldn't think so. Um, I mean, Ireland's really, really small anyway, geographically. There's n- I can't think of anything that's region-specific uh, at all. I mean... Okay, bands coming from a particular area might be influenced by their immediate surroundings in a cultural or historical sense, but in terms of a sound specificity, no, definitely not. Okay, just a random question there. And getting back to your label to Invictus Productions, am I right that in addition to releasing music, you've also helped to organize gigs uh, in Dublin? Yeah, um, the first gig I order I organized um, was in the summer of '96 uh, in a town near my hometown where I grew up. Um, or it was a band from England, an old black metal band called Dust Defiled, and a bunch of Irish bands played it, which was a lot of fun. It was hysterical, I think, more so because it was I hadn't a clue what I was doing, and the equipment was absolutely fucking abysmal. But um, that was my first ever experience organizing a gig. But yeah, I've organized lots over the years, um, ha- had loads of international bands. I guess the, I organized a couple of festivals here in Dublin as well, uh, small festivals um, with international bands, which were really, really cool. Um, uh, actually, myself and Matt from Dark Descent did one in Dublin about uh, five years ago, five and a half years ago, which was cool, <coughs> albeit a lot of stress, but still it was very cool to, to, to pull it off in the end um but uh jesus i actually the last gig last show i organized was the label's 20th anniversary show in october 2019 um did that with a friend of mine from limerick uh, who runs a promo company down there called bad reputation we we organized it in um in a church a disused church which was uh, yeah, like we and we like when you walked in, there was like you know you, you had a big railing and a wall and it was graves everywhere, and then you went into the church um, and the bands played. <laughs> That's uh, that sounds fairly ideal for what you're trying to do there in a way. Yeah, 
No, it was amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, like, yeah, like it was something I like. I wanted to do something special for the label's 20th anniversary. I didn't want to just organize another show in another yeah. venue and everybody gets drunk and whatever else. So, uh, John, uh, my friend from Limerick, uh, he said, Hey, look, there's this church here. It's not cheap, but it's fucking cool. So we were like, Okay, let's fucking do it. So, yeah, it was it was a really, really cool, cool thing to do. And it's even cooler now because fuck knows when we're going to have gigs here again. Yeah. Um, the way yeah. things are. Unfortunately, man. Um, but th- uh, that last, uh, wow, that last story kind of brings me to my next point I want to make. An- another stereotype or generalization people might have about Ireland is a very conservative religion-influenced government and culture. Um, could you speak to, first of all, whether or not that's been your experience and um, whether or not that's uh, uh, affected you in booking these type of gigs, that one in particular, or in running the label? Um, well, in today's world, if you're talking about the Church of Silicon Valley, yes, that has uh, that's what kind of governs and dictates everything uh, that happens today. I mean, the, the the country has gone from one extreme to another. It's and with no middle middle ground. It's but yeah, you know. Look, I grew up in, in the '80s as a kid. I didn't understand social conservatism until I suppose I got into my teens. You know, my parents are relatively liberal um you know okay when i was i wanted to grow my hair long and get my ears pierced and all that stuff they were like yeah no we're not into that but anyway look like they let me grow my hair long in the end anyway so it was no big deal but um yeah look rural ireland was a lot more conservative um at one point i think dublin was always a lot more liberal and and quite bohemian i mean there were even going back to the 70s, you know, you'd bands like the Radiators from Space and even when U2 started um, and obviously you had Thin Lizzy um, uh, starting up in Dublin as well, even though they were in the late 60s. But uh, like, yeah, rural Ireland was a completely different kind of kettle of fish. But none of that religious conservatism has ever affected anything that I've done. It, I mean, it, it may have affected small aspects of my life as a teenager or whatever else and you know resisting wanting to be involved in religious matters or anything like that but that's really really the extent of it i mean i think there's a lot of i i i think by maybe the time i was in my early teens that whole kind of fabric had started to wilt a little bit i mean in the early 90s there was a lot made of um fucking uh, sexual abuse by priests and that kind of smashed things open a little bit and people were able to be a bit more critical of the church um, and their kind of hold on things had started to fade to some degree. I mean, some people will argue it's still there. I don't really see it, to be perfectly honest. The Catholic Church is, you know, <laughs> a fraction of what it once was. But um, yeah, like I said, the Church of Silicon Valley is what r- runs the show these days. And uh, that's what influences pretty much every decision that our government makes. Mm. Um, well, on that note, the type of uh, black and death metal that you seem to specialize in and also play with your band, Verkulak, uh it, it seems um, non-commercial by nature. Uh, it seems like that's the point, really, is to not adhere to any of the trends or commercialization that's taken place uh, in any era of metal s- since the, the, you know, the 80s and 90s. Um, 
nowadays, do you feel like that's even more important or even more uh, like 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 revolutionary? Some I don't. I'm trying to think of the right word, uh, but I guess even more subversive in a way nowadays because of that cultural shift you're talking about. Okay, well, just I don't think metal is is subversive. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think there was aspects of it that perhaps were or perceived as such. Um, but like any flash explosion, it's gone in a second. Um, look, me- I think in some respects, metal is a very uh, conformist um, form of music. Um, <laughs> it may not have appeared as such in the past, but look, I do think it is these days. There's an, there's an awful, I, I think social media is also to, to blame for it because yeah. um, everybody's dependent on Instagram and Facebook uh, for um, exposure or whatever else. But of course, you can't, you can't formulate points of view that have sub- substance on an Instagram post or even a Facebook post. So fans end up getting themselves in trouble by saying the most absurd and ridiculous things um, when, you know, when, and then they end up rowing back or whatever else on what they're doing. So look, there is no subversion in, in metal. And I don't, think, I don't think metal necessarily should be subversive for that matter either. I think it, it, it's an art form, it's a form of music. It has so many different contexts, meanings, um, and uh, you know, it, it can be relevant on so many different levels. So yeah, look, I, I just don't. I don't think metal is in any way um, subversive. <laughs> I like that answer. I, I, I like that answer a lot because because you're right. And I guess you know a, a, the line of questioning um, throughout this interview. So, you know, just a distinction I've been trying to make is that the metal that you seem to specialize in. Uh, it's not metalcore. It's not deathcore. It's not very refined, sterile tech death. Uh, it's not any of these um, uh, kind of like eras and fads we've seen come and go in metal in the last 20 years. Um, you, you know, if you look back over the type of stuff you've released, there's a pretty common thread going throughout a lot of it. And maybe at this point in the interview, I'll give you the opportunity to plug and promote anything you want at the end. But I want to talk about a few specific bands you've worked with this year, 2021, and maybe just get your take on where you where you found them and what you see in them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, the first being, if I'm not mistaken, uh, maybe you could help me with again with the pronunciation. Uh, is it Kirkskavor? Q- oh, Kirkskor. Yeah, yeah. Kirkskor. Oh, I, was, yeah. I was close with Poison Palinopsia, their full length album that you put out earlier this year, right? Yep. That just came out a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, came out on August 13th. So it's literally only out the door <laughs> 11 days ago. <laughs> yeah, very exciting album. A lot of very fresh, a lot of different ideas, really organic, raw sound. Could you talk a little bit about where you started, um, where you discovered that band, What you know, how you heard them and dealing with them? Yeah, um, I, they put out a demo, Jesus, okay, maybe six, seven years ago. Um, and... Uh, a friend of mine actually recommended it. He said, hey, check these guys out. I think you'd be into them. And lo and behold, I was. So I met Steve, who was the architect of the band, a few times. He was at a few different shows that I was at. So we began talking. And I said, look, you know, I'd be really interested in, in uh, working with whatever it is you want to do. So, yeah, we did the Three Devils Dance release in 2016. And... Um, 
I think they actually they toured the U.S. with Blood Incantation, and uh, maybe it was 2017 or something. So, but you know, once the tour was over, the rest of the guys in the band uh, um, went their separate ways. Uh, so Steve was kind of left on his own, with, you know. And look, the band is pretty much his vision um, anyway. So he took a while to kind of reassemble things, which is why it, it's been five years between uh, the Free Devils Dance and the new album Poison Pal Palinopsia. But um, yeah, look, I've been in contact with Steve for a long time. You know, we've uh, I think I think we have a very good friendship and uh, working relationship as well. We 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 work very well together, you know. And he's an incredibly um, artistic individual. I mean, his, you know, what he has achieved with Poison Palinopsia, I think is, uh, it's incredibly unique. I know some people will put it on and listen to it and they'll immediately go, oh, it just sounds like this or it just sounds like that. <laughs> They're not listening to it. You really need to pay attention to, to that record. Um, as I said to Steve, and he quite liked the reference to, to me that uh, the Poison Palinopsia album, if it has a visual reference, it would be the movie The, the Omen. The, two, the album and that movie to me work perfectly together. Mm. It creates this like the same nightmarish um, atmosphere that The Omen does. Wow, that's that's I, I got to think about it in that kind of context next time I listen to it. Something that that struck me listening to a few of the um, most more recent releases you put out is uh, I'm trying to think of the right way to put this, but I think to the casual extreme metal listener, maybe from this generation of stuff coming out now, stuff stuff like what you're putting out, that wall of sound, that very raw production. Uh, raw organic sound to the guitars. I think sometimes people need to listen to that once or twice to let it soak in. It's not, it does, you know, it's it's not um, uh, sterilized and and digitized and condensed like a little pop, uh, you know, unit you could just pop in, you know, like a Pez dispenser, you know. Yeah, I mean, look, I think this is the one thing, um, you know. From being a bit older, I remember when I was a kid. When you when you got a, when you put spent your money on a record or a tape, as it was when I was younger as well. When you bought an album, you you played that fucking thing until you liked it, <laughs> you know. Um, and it was maybe a few a few years after that you kind of went, yeah, look, maybe it isn't so good. But when you invested money in it, you were like, yeah, I, I'm going to like this fucking thing. It's true. So it's the thing true. is, because we live in an era where music is so accessible. You can, you know, it's on YouTube, it's on Spotify, it's on whatever, you know, file, sh I know file sharing isn't really a thing anymore, but people can play something and if, the, if it doesn't, you know, fucking tickle their balls in the first fucking two minutes, they're like, nah, I'm not, in, I'm not interested and they're onto something else. Yeah. So you have this kind of overexposure of things in one sense and it kind of is, um, it challenges people's interest in things. And I understand it. I get it. I mean, I'm constantly recommended uh, new bands and I see new bands coming out from other labels. I'm like, oh, yeah, I must check that out. And I just I, I, I just don't have the fucking time. I like I don't have the time to sit down and put on a brand new LP from somebody else and actually invest time in it uh, the same way I would have would have done before, particularly when I'm working with bands. If I decide to sign something or work with a band, I have to invest my time and energy into into that as well. I can't just say, "Yeah, cool, grand," and not not put myself into the music as well, because I think that's that's bullshit. You need to be invested in not not just financially, but I am actually mean personally invested in what it is you're releasing and take the time to absorb it. 
and listen to what what bands are doing and like they they they'll ask for their for, uh, for your opinion and if, if you have any criticisms or suggestions or whatever else like that so if you're half arse listening to something you'd be like you can go uh yeah you can f- f- feign some kind of response whatever else like that but you know bands will see through that quite quickly as well and uh, you know i like to have a good rapport with um with people that i'm working with so you know, I, I, I invest my time in that. But, uh, you know, if, for the casual fan, there's so much to choose from these days that it can be hard to kind of go, right, I'm going to spend my time and, and, and really listen to this record. And if you follow that, then what you see is, you know, some bands just kind of burst onto the scene and they get really, really popular. And other bands who will be in a similar style won't achieve the same degree of popularity. And they'll be like, well, why aren't we getting what they're getting and it's just like that's not how the algorithm works my friend so yeah. you just kind of have to take the rough with the smooth in that regard you know yeah you gotta ride the roller coaster out man exactly are, are there any bands that you've been working with steadily for for the greater part of the last 20 years till today uh, yeah i mean gospel of the horns even though they don't exist as a kind of functioning entity but i mean i still reissue their stuff and everything so yeah um, there's those guys. Um, I'm still in touch with Steve from Slaughterlord. Um, we still talk. Uh, I haven't talked to him in a while now, but we were talking a few months ago. Um, I'm trying to think, is there any other bands? I, I'm in touch with uh, Justin from Allfather, who's a band I released in mid-2000s. He played in Three Inches of Blood for, for a while there as well. Mm. Uh, we're in touch periodically. Um, going back, to, I mean, I'm still in touch with the Diocletian guys. You know, so, yeah, I mean, and there's other people um, that I'm friends with that I, you know, maybe not have released music by, but people who I knew or knew met through the scene back 20 years ago who I'm still good friends with as well. So there's that also. Okay. Uh, and uh, another um, another band that you've recently worked with, I wanted to get, you know, get your perspective on. Uh, I, I did enjoy Of Sleep and Death, the most recent album by Transylvania. Uh, I believe they're an Austrian act who, yeah. who, you, who you've signed. And just quickly, my perspective on that, um, as a listener, uh, you know, I'm not an expert. It seemed like a very catchy and interesting combination of like both first and second wave black metal styles. Um, like a, a very a very old school uh, kind of mentality, but with kind of that more atmospheric and, and melodic component that you got from the second wave bands. Would you, would you agree with that or disagree? And, and what's your perspective on them? No, no, no. I fully fully agree with that. I, I, it's kind of funny because um, how I came across them. I, I actually, I was I've a big interest in the vampire lore and Dracula and all that sort of stuff. So anything kind of Transylvania, whatever, is, is something that piques my interest immediately. Um, so uh, I was just fucking around on YouTube and um, the, a demo of one of the songs, which is now on the new album, showed up. And uh, I was like, and it, kept, it kept on showing up as something to listen. I'm not fucking going to listen to this. And I listened to it and I was like, fuck, this is cool. So I immediately went and sought out their first LP, The Night of Nights, which had been out, I think, a couple of years, a year or two at that point. And I got fucking way into it. I was, it was one of my most played albums of um, last year. I was listening to it constantly. I was like, Jesus. So anyway, I got a hold of them and I said, look, are you guys doing anything with anybody else? And they were like, nope. And I was like, okay, fucking game on. Let's let's do this. So um, yeah, we, we hooked up. And yeah, they have that they have that kind of mix of, of, of 
80s kind of black and thrash metal and then that uh, early 90s say dissection maybe even you know emperor the, the kind of melodic um, black metal feel so yeah i think they they combine both styles perfectly you mentioned an interest in uh, vampires. I, I learned in the Bardo methodology interview that you did, Bram, Bram Stoker is actually uh, was was an Irishman. Correct. I I didn't know that until then. I thought that was very interesting. So that's actually the tale was set in and I guess what what, what what's modern day Romania, right? But it but it but it was uh, written by a, an Irishman with Irish influence, I guess. Well, it's 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 mainly set in, in England, uh, in London. Um, and oh, uh, yes, yes, was, yes. Um, yeah, he he used reference of, from Transylvania um, and folk customs and stuff like that. Um, actually, uh, because you wanted to talk about Verkalak, here's a good segue into that. Great. Our EP, The Cursed Travails of the Demeter, is um, it's actually a reference to. Um, uh, 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 Bram Stoker and the Dracula novel, and actually the song is about the the, the ship, the Demeter sailing from uh, Varna to Whitby with uh, Dracula on board. But for the artwork for that EP, uh, we went into this crypt in Dublin called St. Mickens. It's a famous crypt here, which has the mummified remains um, of a few different uh, body, uh, three different bodies, one going back to about a thousand years ago, they, they estimate. But um, According to folklore, Bram Stoker uh, was partly influenced by this crypt because he had family buried there uh, on his mother's side, I believe. So he went to visit visit there, and apparently the mummies served as part of the kind of folkloric influence behind some of what he did with Dracula. Well, that's interesting, man. Uh, we like to learn stuff on this podcast. And you did, uh, you did mention a segue. We always appreciate a good segue as well. Uh, Verkulak, your own band, um, you guys, I, well, I guess the, the demo, Codex, um, per, is it Codex Perfida? Yeah, Codex Perfida, yeah. Codex Perfida, that's the demo from 2014. I imagine the band starts shortly before that, right? Yeah, we started in 2013, um, and we recorded the demo then in September 2014, and I think it came out. Came out in a limited edition shortly after that for a gig we were doing here in Dublin. Um, I think it was November 2014 or something like that. Uh, yeah, that, that was kind of the genesis of it all. And then we, I, I the EP I think was, Jesus, 2016 maybe five years ago. Christ, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not 100 sure, but I think it was uh, five years ago. Yeah. Well, what I'm getting at is—is is that your first experience uh, on that end of things as as a, an artist in a band, um, having released all those albums all those years? That's your first experience being in a band. No, um, I was in a band in that band Sol Axis uh, for a brief period in around 2005. I think it was. Uh, I think I recorded two songs with them. And so I did. We did a couple of live shows, um, and yeah, that, that that would have been my, my first experience. But I've never like been in bands like most sort of people who have, you know, been doing labels or whatever else have been. So yeah, I guess if, in a in a broader sense, Verkalak would have been the first band I was in in a in a proper proper sense, mm -hmm. you know. Okay. Yeah. And you mentioned Soul Axis. Um, your drummer. 
in Verkalek. Uh, that's Colin Purcell. Yeah. Yeah, he. I, I. I take it he might be a bit of like a, a more of an old school um, uh, Irish metalhead. He has roots going back to the um, early '90s in bands, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was playing. He's been playing drums since he was a kid. He played in a in a band when he moved to Dublin in the late '90s called Dreamsphere. They put out a demo, Prelude to Destiny, I think it's called, um, which was actually pretty good. Um, kind of thrash aggressive thrash um uh uh in the late 90s they gigged a few a few times and i can't then i think i'm not 100 sure what he did after that i think maybe he he may have played in some other stuff oh kingdom sorry he played in another band called kingdom for a while they did a demo um and then i think it was then solax has started so he was in that solax has broke up so then he joined cruocon um, and after Kruokon, then he, he left Kruokon and and we then started Verkalash. So yeah, he's been he's played, he's been around the block a few times. <laughs> okay, man. And uh, was it? I mean, I, I what I what I'm taking from this is it kind of maybe was a group of friends and you guys um, were like were able to get a band together. Maybe there wasn't as much of a, a trial and error process hiring different people and looking for people. Is is that correct? Yeah, literally, it was just my idea. I said, oh, fuck it, you know. Um, Jamie had written a riff or written a song, sent it to me. And he just said, oh, look, what do you think it is? And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, cool. I said, I just kind of flippantly said, look, if you need somebody to do vocals rather than you having to play guitar and do vocals, I can do vocals. I'm in this in a studio sense. So I was in the pub one night or at a gig and I said at the parcel, um, I said, hey, you know, I'm going to do, do some vocals for this thing. And he goes, oh, I've left Crook on, uh, you know, are you looking for a drummer? And that was literally how it all started. It was no kind of looking for band members, whatever else. It was, it was really straightforward. You mentioned the cursed travails of the Demeter EP, which was on Sepulchral Voice uh, in 2016. Yeah. And most recently, Dark Descent Records put out uh, Mask, M-A-S-Q-U-E for the listeners. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk just a little bit about that? Because it's I know it's, there's a bit of a concept there. There's kind of like a side A, side B type of thing going on, right? Yeah, look, I guess, the, you know, there's loosely the concept is, um, you know, it's reflected in the cover is that, you know, it doesn't matter who you are or what you do in life. Eventually, the mask is—the uh, mask of flesh—is all gone, and all we are is, is fucking dust and bone. It, like it doesn't matter how rich you are, what earthly possessions you have, or how poor you are, and how little you have. We all end up the same. That's kind of the the, the I guess the generic theme in it. But it kind of if it, it flows in in different ways. Like you know, the song mask itself is uh, talking about uh, all these the rich i suppose these people who kind of you know foment conflict between people and you know they kind of laugh at everybody from on high who was busy slaughtering each other over crumbs falling from the table people fighting with each other you know consistently when they are the ones who will lose and they can't and they can't see that them fighting one another is what creates this I suppose protective bubble 
over these people who are pulling the strings, you know, because people are too busy fighting amongst themselves and not looking at the actual fucking problems and coming together going, okay, hey, you know, we're not going to fight this war for this fucking, you know, these rich people and end up being slaughtered and being, literally being commemorated by stone monuments. That's kind of the general theme of that. And the last song then is The Long Trail, which is about um, Irish soldiers in World War One. So it, it, that kind of connects the two of them. You know, we we sent off thousands and thousands of men to die in battle. You know, it was the great the war to end all wars, which clearly it didn't. And you know, the, the sacrifice and suffering as a consequence of that. Uh, you know, it still reverberates today. You know, it's still it, pe people still feel it, and families, gen generations haven't forgotten what has happened. So that's the kind of there's a connection between those two songs. All right, man. Um, and that's uh, the most recent uh, album by Virkolak, uh, Mask, on Dark Descent Records. Uh, now, I noticed that you, if I got it right, you did not release on Invictus Productions any Virkolak uh, releases, right? Correct. Yeah, no, I wanted to stay away from it. I, you know, um, I figured that, one, it would be too easy to do it myself in the sense that, you know, of course, you know, you have a record label, so put out your own band. I would rather that it stood in its own two feet and other people wanted to do it. And both Matt and uh, Thomas, uh, respectively, they said, yeah, look, we're, we're interested. I was like, OK, cool. Let's let's do it then. Um, you know, whereas if I had done it, if people would have just been, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, this dickhead is releasing his own fucking <laughs> music through his own label. And I, yeah, I don't, I'm not into that ego trip either, you know. I, and look, I'm not the only person in the band. There's other people in the band who have, you know, as much and more say than I do, considering how much work and effort they put in. Now, okay, they might have been okay with me, me doing it um, as well. However, you know, the idea of somebody else handling it all entirely was appealing to them as well because it kind of it gives a little different perspective you know rather rather than going yeah you know um you know if brendan our guitar player is uh <coughs> at the plowing championships um in, in his tractor and uh, he's telling somebody about uh his band he can say he can say yeah you know we have a german label and an american label Rather than saying, yeah, yeah, my mate from Dublin who's also singing in the band, he put it out. <laughs> you know, it has a nicer ring to it. <laughs> I hear you, man. Yeah, well, there's all different approaches with uh, underground music, man. But I just wanted to get your perspective on that. I thought that was interesting. Because, um, again, uh, you know, you kind of have a perspective from both sides of the, the aisle there on that one. You know, you know what it's like to be an artist signed to a label. You know what it's like to be a label that deals with artists all the time what just quickly uh you know speaking of being a label dealing with artists i'm sure you have a lot of respect and a lot of mutual admiration for the majority of artists you've worked with you don't have to name names but have there ever been um issues with artists who were a little bit entitled or didn't realize what exactly you were supposed to do for them that sort of thing and had an attitude about it yeah i mean look you get the odd person here and there who who, who is like that you know people who don't have perspective um but it, it, to be truthful, uh, no, it's not something I've 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 experienced in, uh, much. I mean, once or twice maybe, but not something generally. Everybody who I've I've worked with in a, in a general sense has always been really easy to, to work with. Okay, there might be some we might clash over a particular idea. I might have a suggestion that they might think is fucking ridiculous, or vice versa. 
you know, and you, you'll get that. But, you know, no, thing, most people, you know, understand that, you know, we're in the underground, you know, this isn't fucking, uh, <laughs> you know, this isn't even like, uh, how would you say, Amon Amart or Behemoth ter- territory, you know, this is, yeah. this, is a, this is a small kind of enterprise stuff. Um, and, you know, you work, you work within your means and everybody, everybody pull, pulls together generally to get, get things done, you know, so, um, but no, I'm glad to say that, no, generally it's not something I've, I've had the misfortune to deal with. I'm not, I really not into fucking ego trips. I, I think they're bullshit. And if they come from underground bands, it's, it makes, it's just fucking absurd to tell you the truth. It's just, it's one of the most ridiculous fucking things that a band who might end up selling 500 or a thousand copies of a physical album can walk around thinking that they're like fucking Motley Crue. It's just, oh, <laughs> yeah, no, I don't, I don't get it. Well, I, I like that. I li- that that's that's good to know, man. And um, you know, maybe with some of the bands you work with, that's just you know, like like it, it goes with the territory that they that they have a realistic point of view of of, of, the, of the underground scene because um, it's a lot of raw stuff. We mentioned we mentioned Transylvania. Um, we mentioned, uh, uh, I'm going to say it wrong again, uh, Kirkskvore. Um, Kirkskvore. Kirkskvore. I'm trying. I'm trying, there Darren. You, go. <laughs> um, uh, you know, there's also bands like, uh, uh, there's the, the new Hard Invocations uh, demo by Hecatomb. Um, yeah. Tempter Sac- uh, Sacrament, Temptation Steel Scourge EP. A lot of really raw, interesting stuff that... Um, you know, d- definitely wasn't uh, mixed and mastered to sound like a digitized video game explosion, like some mer- modern tech death bands. You know, there's a little more organic stuff going on there. Before we let you off the hook, we always ask people to recommend one old and one new album, which we're going to do. But maybe just give us, I know it's, it's kind of like maybe like picking like your favorite child or something like that. But just for us and the listeners, um, what are what are some releases you've put out in recent memory uh, that that you would that you would definitely recommend that really capture the the character of your label. Um, okay, I'll I would say that most recently there's been a Crick's Core, Transylvania, Omega Vortex from Germany, um, Malicious from Finland, um, Malakopatin from Slovakia as well. Those I love absolutely love what those guys are doing because they have a very unique. Uh, approach, um, which they're Slovakian, so they have a lot of Slovakian folklore and culture in in their music and in their attitude as well. You know, they're, they're an incredibly unique band. The closest reference I could pick would be Masters Hammer, but even still, Malakopatin oh. is a different ball game. Um, older stuff, I mean, yeah, I have to say, Gospel of the Horns, uh, Negative Plane, Stained Glass Revelations, Diocletian, Doom Cult, and War of All Against All. You know, a pivotal release for the label as well was the Tribulation album, The Formulas of Death, um, back in 2013. That was a, a big, big step for the, for the label. So yeah, there's, a, there's quite a mix in there. Um, there's some other stuff that's that's coming up in the next while, I think will be quite interesting as well. Like uh, another Dublin band called Koskra. Uh, they have uh, an album coming out next year, uh, which is going to be called Nahanigan Stadial. So there, there's a bit of a tongue twister for you. Um, that's really good. Tulsa Doom from Italy have an album coming out next year. And there's some other stuff um, that's been worked on as well. So there's, you know, there's there's a pretty good mix mix of stuff. But I also have some kind of 
curveball stuff like occultation, which ha- has aid from negative playing on guitar. Um, yes, yeah. As female vocal stuff, it's kind of dreary, doom, gothic kind of metal. When I when I say gothic, I do not mean that shite like Within Temptation or uh, <laughs> Theater or Tragedy or anything like that. Yeah. It's not what I'm talking. About. I actually mean gothic in terms of atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, I I had the the distinct pleasure of um, putting out a European CD edition of uh, the last Solstice album, uh, White Horse Hill. Okay. Um, which is it's a curveball because it's it's really epic, strong, heavy metal. Um, so it's different to the kind of black and death and thrash stuff that I that I put out. But um, you know, it's it's nice to have something that's a little bit kind of off off kilter. Um, to kind of throw people off a bit as well. So there's a good mix mix of things in there for people. <laughs> yeah, and you mentioned it uh, just quickly. You mentioned Negative Plane, uh, yep. a band. You know, I we're we're from New York. We're from uh, about an hour outside of New York City here. So that's a band that we're a little bit more familiar with, uh, and maybe some of our local listeners might be more familiar with because Negative Plane was uh, I don't know about based out of, but definitely associated with New York for a period of time. And you put out their 2011 album, Stained Glass Revelations, if I remember correctly. Correct, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in, very interesting band. I, I, I had the opportunity to see them live um, once or twice here in New York at the St. Vitus Bar. I mean, that's something, too, that the listeners might want to go back and check out from... T- I can't believe it's been 10 years since that album came out. Wow. But, yeah, it's... It, you know, look, they, they, they have been working on new material. It's not like they, they haven't, but... Look, oh, yeah, yeah. Life and circumstance, you know. Look, nobody's doing no, no bands in the underground are really are doing this as a living. So, you know, everybody has different things going on. So th- things take t- things take time um, to to get completed or whatever. But look, they'll get there in the end. And oh, yeah. you know, I should also, you know, mention that uh, in the U.S., Negative Plane is handled by um, Ajnaf out of Portland. You know. Uh, oh. Tyler handles negative plane o- over there. I do. I do negative plane in Europe. Um, well, hopefully we get to hear something from them in the not too distant future. Because <laughs> yeah, it has been ten years, and um, uh, I would love to have something new to listen to them because I think I've worn out every copy of of uh, of the first two records that I have. So. Yeah, a great band. Yeah, and I say that just because it makes me feel old not to rush them uh, or, or fork them, <laughs> but um. Uh, and 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 quickly as we wrap up, um, I gotta admit, uh, we were um, made aware of and and suggested uh, to get you on the show in part by uh, a very supportive longtime listener who is himself uh, a New Yorker, but his parents are of Irish extraction, so he's kind of always had an interest in, in the Irish metal scene. And I'm going to ask you if you could pronounce his last name maybe uh, uh, better than I would be able to. His name is Shane, and it's R-E-I-D-Y. I fear I've always pr- pronounced it wrong. Uh, is it, the surname is Reedy. Shane Reedy. Yeah, shout out to Shane yeah. Reedy, a uh, longtime listener. And he just has a few quick questions he wanted to shout you out. Yeah. Uh, uh, before we wrap up, the, the the first one maybe it's easy. I don't know. What's your favorite Thin Lizzy album? My favorite Thin Lizzy album. Oh Christ, it changes. <laughs> I'm going to pick Thunder and Lightning right now because it's the first one that popped into my head. Okay, yeah, Gut Instinct. There you go, man. Um, there you go. And then uh, uh, we'll, we'll we'll get to them too. Since uh, this one's a little more detailed, since Ireland traditionally had a very pious 
God-fearing population as recently as one or two generations ago. What were the early days like playing extreme music in that environment? Were venues reluctant to host extreme music shows in the early 90s? Or did neighboring bands like Black Sabbath already start breaking down those barriers in the previous years? Um, no, there were no issues. I can't think of a single... Actually, <laughs> I can't think of a single issue. Actually, in the 90s, in the late 80s, early 90s, um, there was a heavy metal priest. Fuck, his name escapes me. He, used to play, uh, he was a, 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 an actual priest who did Sunday Mass and all the rest of it. But he performed Ozzy Osbourne covers um, as well. He, he was on TV here and everything. So, yeah, like, you know, like I said, I was a kid in the 80s, a, a literal child. So my memory of things is, is different. But I do recall when I got into the heavier end of things, my mother expressing some uh, dissatisfaction with my musical leanings. And she did mention the more satanic elements of uh, that surrounded Ozzy Osbourne and, and that that type of thing, but I mean I was into Morbid Angel. I wasn't in, I didn't give a shit about Ozzy Osbourne at this point. Um, but I yeah see I my own experiences. I think a lot of the conservatism can be exaggerated to varying degrees. Now my own again to reference my mother. I had a debate with her recently, and she fucking she was like nah things were super conservative but look she grew up in the in the 60s and 70s so obviously she has a completely different perspective but in the 90s no there was no no venues you playing in a heavy metal band yeah fine no 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 problem nobody gave a shit there was no never any issues okay well i think we might have dispelled uh some misconceptions then in this interview uh hopefully look i just have to have to add the caveat that look this is just this is entirely my perspective, my view of oh, things yeah. as I see them. Somebody else might have a completely different perspective, you know, but look, you know, it's... Irish people love to run down everything about Ireland, um, but then somebody who's not from Ireland starts running Ireland down and they want to punch their face off. So we have this very strange attitude to the to, towards the country. Um, you know, there's a lot of kind of... Uh, Oh yeah, we love the place, you know. And anybody who runs it down, you know, they're gonna—they they should shut the fuck up. They don't know what they're talking about. But yeah, we'll run it down the whole time. So people love to bitch about conservative Catholic Ireland, and there's no doubt that it did exist. I'm not trying to say it didn't, but to the extent that it, I don't know, it just—it didn't really affect me. And I went to um, Catholic school as a kid, and I had long hair, and I never had any any problems. Okay, man. And well, you know, something I've said in other uh, international interviews, as much as we try to learn about uh, where you're from, from you, you, you know, we only expect you to represent Invictus Productions and Verkalak today. We don't expect you to represent an entire uh, country or culture just because you happen to be uh, a guest who's from a particularly different place than us. So that, yeah, that, that answer is perfectly acceptable, man. We get that. We get that. Oh. Uh, and and the final question from Shane: Anything on the horizon from Nadred? Is a new release from them in the works? Uh, not that I'm aware of. I think the demo may have been a one-off thing. Um, I really don't know. Uh, look, uh, with all all of this lockdown business that's been going on, people have kind of been bunkered in, uh, doing different things or whatever else. So I I know Joe the. Um, guitar player uh, he has another band called Slither 
which is his main uh, outlet. He, do, he I think he did. He, he writes everything, does all the vocals. Um, I'm not sure if he plays drums or has a has a studio drummer, but he's the main architect that I've, I think that's his main focus, um, that uh, tattooing. Um, so I don't, I wouldn't expect anything from Nadred. But I could be wrong. Then maybe they will do something, you know. I, I guess I'll find out if, if and when they decide to do it, you know. Okay, uh, well, that satisfies Shane's question, and we thank him for um, suggesting uh, uh, that we that we bring you uh, into the mix here and uh, invite you onto the platform, and we encourage all of our listeners to get in touch. We take all, all uh, suggestions into consideration. We can only produce so many episodes and, and so much time, um, but we thank you for your time. And with that in mind, we're going to ask you our final question that we ask everybody, uh, and, and after that we will give you the opportunity to promote anything you want. Uh, could you just recommend for us one older and one newer release by any artist you like? Doesn't have to be metal or not. Doesn't have to be Irish or not. Just two suggestions for us to check out. Okay, well, one for an older one, I'm going to recommend that everybody listens to the first Sabbath album, History of a Time to Come, um, from 1988. It's one of the best thrash metal albums ever. I'm absolutely obsessed with that band. I have been listening to them constantly for the last two years uh, and I'm, when I say constantly I sometimes listen to that, that album when I'm working three four times a, a day <laughs> I think I've got fucking Sabbath OCD at this point um, and as for a newer um, album uh, this is this is something that always kind of catches me because there's so much that I actually yeah Hexorcist from uh, the US their new album uh, the name fucking escapes me um, that's a really good death metal record um, tons of old Florida death metal vibes on it. Right. Well worth checking out. All right. And um, uh, Invictus Productions, we, we know you have a YouTube channel. You can check it out on the internet, your website, uh, your mail order. Uh, like I said, uh, the most recent release uh, by the band Virkulak is uh, on Dark Descent Records. That's the 2019 album Mask, spelled M A S Q U E. Anything else that you just want to promote or plug real quick? No, I think you've you've done it all for me. I mean, um, if anybody's interested in the label, the bands, the mail order, check out the website at invictusproductions.net. You can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram. I even have a Twitter account for the label. Just follow the news updates and see what we're doing. Um, I, if you're in in Ireland if, and you're you hear this, you can call to the warehouse to check out records, pick up records. We welcome people uh, there all the time. So um, I'd just like to say thanks to Shane Reedy for recommending that you guys get me on the air. Um, I'll get you a pint next time I'm in New York, Shane. And uh, thanks for having me on the, the show. I appreciate it. I hope you guys enjoyed the talk. I certainly did anyway. All right. Dara O'Leary uh, from Dublin, Ireland, vocalist of Virkulak. And owner of Invictus Productions, we thank you for your time. We'll be in touch, brother. Thank you very much. Cheers, guys.
All right. We're leaving that in. Big thanks to Dara O'Leary of Dublin, Ireland, vocalist of Virkolak, owner of Invictus Productions. Thank you to him for speaking to us about his experience in metal, getting into metal, running his label, and being in his band and all of his stories. We appreciate that man's time. Uh, and mm-hmm. thank you also to Shane Reedy, a uh, loyal, uh, supportive listener. If you want to be a loyal, supportive listener, if you want to inject your own narrative into the conversation every once in a while, if you want to drop us a couple suggestions, you can always follow us on Patreon. We got them bonus episodes. I, I'm trying to trying to run one out right now. Uh, you just got to go to heavyholepodcast.com. All the links are there. Just Everything's go there. there. Just it's do it. All about engagement. Yeah, there's yeah engage. There's more than 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 just uh, uh, the Patreon though. You can spend money on other things. That's right. You can buy T-shirts. Mm. You can show in real life how you feel. Yeah, in it's real co- in real time with a little pocket print. Yeah, would, but do it from twenty feet away, or else you're going to kill someone's grandmother. That's right. Yeah, but wear the, wear the patch on your face mask. We have patches. We have nice heavy hole pot. We have them right still. Well, yeah, we have yeah. patch. So many patches. Yeah. It's, a- listen, uh, fall is coming. Yeah. Winter's coming after it. Uh-huh. Then spring. Then we're doing summer again. But in between that, the cold months. Start patching up your jackets. Patched it, up. up. Yeah, patch up your face mask, you, you disgusting, virile motherfucker. No. Sew a patch on your vaccine hole. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa, boy. That's what I did. Hell yeah. Oh, God. Tell them to keep the band-aids cool at home. Be like, no. I feel like a good dude now because I did that. Yes. Life is exhausting. It's My cold. Duty. But. It's called. Te- <laughs> <laughs> you can escape it with more bonus content from Heavy Hole Podcast. Follow us on Patreon. Go to heavyholepodcast.com. We got all the social medias you want or need. Uh, we got some of those little cute videos of me uh, opening CDs and doing funky stuff on Instagram. It's wild. Yeah. Uh, we do have the bonus content. More what? of it coming at you. We know we got to give. If you've been paying for it, we know you've been cheap. It's cheapskating you out. You need more of it. It's coming your way. Um, that's about it. T-shirts, patches. Yeah. Bing bong, it's all good. Anything? Am I, did I leave anything out? Ah, uh, no. That's oh, voicemail. Wow, my goodness. So wait a minute. Yes, we got a number. You should call it and tell us. Tell okay. us about how you're feeling about an album you just bought or didn't buy. Hmm. I don't really care how you obtained the album. Whoa. Yeah. Anything else? Shows are opening up. Tell us about your show experience. That's tell right. us about something you met about. Okay. Six three one eight three seven. Three, two, seven, four. That's right. Fall run of bass is coming around. Mm. Wherever you are in the world, fishing is happening. Fishing what'd tips. You, what'd you catch? What'd you listen to? Wow. Nice. Love that. Right? Call us from the fishing spot. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. Justin, do you know any good fishing spots? I know one. 